0: We have been in this series of messages, this is installment number five, called to be saints. Now I won't review with you Romans chapter 1 verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as well, where we have that statement, that phrase, called to be saints. But I will mention to you something that comes to my mind, how many of us have a resistance to that truth, because we were taught to think of a saint as someone who is not only special, and certainly Christians you know, vary in their degrees of dedication and also their ability to appropriate the grace of God. But saints are not voted in by people. They're elected by God. We just sang a hymn, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus. That moment from Jesus. A pardon receives. So many of us, I wasn't particularly one of them, but there are so many of us that the moment we receive Christ, again, I'm not one, but they felt something, a washing, a cleansing. That wasn't my case. Mine was more gradual. But the words of the song, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And at that moment, you and I and so many others, of the past, in the present, and then again in the future, are called to be saints. Whatever God the Holy Spirit has to do to regenerate your mind and scratch the memory, erase the memory that saints are special people, that other people build statues to, you are told by God that you are called, you are called to be a saint. Now with that in mind, let me take you to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, and verse 4. Because this verse here, there are some others as well, shows us a truth that we are living out right now. You're living it out right now in America. Exodus, chapter 16, verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Here we have an explanation of why God sent bread just enough for one day to ancient Israel. We are not in that case, but there are some similarities that I want to point out. Bread enough just to last for one day. Give us this day our daily bread. As Americans, we're very used to having things stocked up. I don't know that there's ever been a period in my life in particular that there wasn't something in the closet, wasn't something in the refrigerator. Now, I know people who have had that experience, but I have not. But the whole nation only had enough bread for one day. And they had, by necessity, to wait upon God and to believe him. Now, they didn't always. As we see, they're murmuring and they're complaining to Moses. And Moses' response, saying, you're not complaining against me. You're complaining against the ways of the Lord. Bread enough for one day, with nothing in store for tomorrow. The exception being Fridays. The reason that God did this, as we've just read, was to see if they would believe God. When we go forward and we look at the end of the book of Joshua and then the beginning of the book of Judges as well, or throughout Judges, we see God speaking again to Israel, who did not drive out the nations, all the nations, that they were supposed to. So God finally makes a decision and he says, Now I'm going to let them remain. You'll not be able to drive them out. Here's the relevance for us today in America. You'll not be able to drive them out. I'm going to leave them there to prove you to see if you will walk in my law or no. Now we here don't relate to the fact that we only have bread for a day, most of us don't, majority of us don't, but we can relate to the fact that the dream of those who first reached these shores from Europe wanted it to be an example of a city set on a hill, here in the Northeast in particular, in New England, a Christian community where others from around the world could see what it'd be like. or Perhaps I could say what the world to come will be like. When Christians work together and pray and believe and live by the scriptures. But from that 17th century, that dream and that hope, we have greatly departed. Now we find ourselves in a great war. And in one sense, God is saying, now I will not let you drive them out." Let me say it this way. You've tried to vote them out, and they're still there. You've tried a lot of things, but I'm going to leave them there to see if you will walk in my law, if you will walk in my scriptures, in my Bible, whether you will keep my word, because then we have an opportunity and a chance to see America great again. Now that, as you know, was the slogan of our former president, Donald Trump, make America great again but not everyone agreed with that. Our governor here, Andrew Cuomo, he stated that America was never that great, but now I think he has other things to occupy his time and attention. America never was that great, he said, and so contention between those who say America was great, we have to reach that greatness again. And those who say, America was never that great. Eric Holder also went on the record to say, America was never that great. And then he goes through the whole slavery thing. For which I want to add a commentary. African Americans were not the only people to become slaves. More than that, the slave trade today is thriving in North Africa, India, China. but We don't hear a word about it. Why is that? It doesn't fit the narrative I would be glad to listen to somebody tell us about the slave trade going on right now in these countries. India, China. India, by the way, leads the way. China, North Africa, where Africans are being sold into slavery and not a peep here in America. And why? We leave that to the either unintelligent or to the uninformed or to the ungodly. But you see, we have not been able to remove the evil from amongst us. Because the people who claim that they are of God, meaning the church, had not been walking in the ways of God. God is testing us. He's testing our faith on an individual basis. He's testing our faith on a corporate basis. And then he's testing our faith for eternity. But answering the question, was America ever great, I read you these words which I have read to you before. Quote, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness Did I understand the secret of her genius and power? America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. That statement has been misattributed to Alexis de Tocqueville. I know this because I researched it myself years ago, looking for that page, book, and number, and it doesn't exist. But there are variations, I'd like to give them to you, and someone has taken the time to trace the origin of this statement. Here's at least one variation from 1880s, quote, I sought everywhere in vain for the secret of their success, Americans, until I entered the church. It was there as I listened to the soul-equalizing and soul-elevating principles of the gospel of Christ. As they fell from Sabbath to Sabbath upon the masses of the people, that I learned why America was great and free, why France was a slave. There is no doubt that de Tocqueville did not write the first statement I gave to you. But as we go back, we see again in the latter part of the 19th century another statement, very similar to the one that somehow developed over time, over at least a century. So in one manner of speaking, it really doesn't matter who wrote this. What we do know is that someone wrote it. Could have been a preacher. A foreigner, obviously, who came here over a hundred years ago and said that the greatness of America was not found in its natural resources, not found in its public school system, and not found in the halls of Congress nor in that valuable document we call the United States Constitution. It was not there, but it was in the churches. The Great Awakening of the 18th century with John Wesley, George Whitefield, and Jonathan Edwards. The Second Great Awakening with men like Charles Finney and many, many others. Asbury and some of these men. You see, in our country, the secret of success has always been with Christ. Christ alone And might I give another commentary here on the last four years that have transpired? Why so many Americans are disappointed is because we tried to do it with the arm of the flesh. We simply thought that as long as we vote people in and out, we'll be good. And God in his heaven said, not so. I will disappoint your dreams until you look at me, until you can sing a song. With the truth in your heart saying, you are all I need. Now again, I have many things that I wanted and received. I've had many things that I still want and may receive. But in life, there's only one thing that we really need. Christ. Christ. And so God has allowed evil to prevail. Until we stop looking at the arm of the flesh. Sure, we vote for the uh, candidates who best represent us. But let's be honest. How many people can you name in this state of New York or in our federal government that really ideally represent what this book stands for? Very little. Very little. And when they do get elected, they are pounced upon mercilessly by the ungodly. And why? Because the church has forgotten God. Let me give you the seed or the germ from where this statement that I read to you about the greatness of America in its past and the warning America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. But we could add to that America will cease to be safe, America will cease to have answers to every disease. Now, we hear a lot about COVID. I challenge you, challenge you to go home and do your research as to communicable diseases around the world, and you'll not find COVID at the top of the list. And AIDS is up there, way up there. Have they forgotten about these? Or once again, does it not fit the narrative? You can decide. America has ceased to be a lot of things that many of us are old enough to have seen in our own generation. Every time I come out on a Sunday morning to the stop sign by my house, and have to wait in traffic. It's not a lot, not compared to where I came from. I think to myself, only a few short years ago, I could roll through that stop sign with my eyes closed, There weren't any cars. But I certainly can remember as a child. You couldn't get gas for your car on a Sunday morning. You couldn't buy milk or bread or anything because it was honoring the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. We here, old enough to have seen that, like the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem. And these young people here, some that sit amongst us and outside and wherever they may be, don't understand what's going on. Because we have forgotten our history. Or allowed the university professors with their impressive degrees to distort our history without once again looking it up for yourself. I've done that. But anyway, here is the germ, the seed of that statement that evidently came from two preachers who were visiting America in 1830 or so, preceding de Tocqueville by about a decade. And this was their observation. America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. That seems to be the beginning of the longer statement I read to you from well, it's not the Tocqueville, but it's almost always attributed to him. It's misattributed. He didn't say it, but somebody did. Imagine going into the churches of America, not one here, one there, any place. Imagine traveling down the East Coast or across the West, right to the next shore. and every church you go in, the pulpit is aflame with righteousness. Imagine that you didn't have to think of where you're going to go to a church meeting on a Sunday because they're all the same in a good way. Now, I have friends that have moved to other states, and I tell them this. I say, you're going to have a hard time finding a church. I don't mean a building. I mean one that I consider to be normal, and normal being that it matches the scriptures. Perfect. There's no such thing. Never has been. Imagine being able to go anywhere in the United States of America, and it really matters very little what's on the door, because the pulpits are aflame with righteousness. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying for. I have little faith that it's going to start with preachers my age. They're too worried about their retirement account. They've built up a reputation. It's going to start with younger people. Some that have nothing to lose anyway, which is, I think, a good thing. But there'll be a few rich young rulers who won't walk away from Jesus, as the one in the gospel did. And they'll say, you're all I need when that happens. A mercy drop here and a mercy drop there. And then God's help and mercy, showers of righteousness, filling the pulpits of America. Not one pulpit or two, the pulpits of America. God taking down the evil that stands right in these type of pulpits. God is alone, our source of blessing, and America can be great if we turn to Christ. And if we don't. And we will see the same things ancient Israel saw and all the nations that have forgotten God. And that, my friends, troubles me. When I look into the face, and I've shared this with you before, me, I'm older. What difference does it make? Some of you are older. What difference does it make, you say? Look into the face of these babies. Some of them we see sitting right around here. And I look into their faces and their smile, and I see the innocence. I say to myself repeatedly, Barnett, you cannot quit. You cannot give in. My job is to preach Christ. You must do your duty. Because even if I fail, or if you fail, at least we can say to our children and to our grandchildren, I did my best. There was a time, and many of us can remember it. Some of you are too young to even remember this. You could walk down the street at night Midnight, 1 o'clock, and there was no fear for your life. Why was that? Because the fear of God was on people. They expected retribution from God, who often works through men. Now, you can pretty much do whatever you like. And the victim that's dead is not the victim. It's the poor guy who had a tough life. I've always thought to myself, and we could throw in a bunch of people in the same category, serial killers, what about the victims? I only wanna know about this much about these people and how hard they had it because God is the one who gives man a choice. Choose you this day, good or evil. I wanna hear about the victims. I wanna know about the people whose lives were ruined because we let evil prevail. And so we have this here. America will be great if America is good If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. And in my understanding, this decision is now left up to this generation. And let me say this as well. We cannot afford to hold our ground. We must go forward. In the boldness supplied by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter who the opposition is, We must make a stand boldly so that we have a chance of a third great awakening. I see this all the time in the political sense. Conservative rights, I'm awake. Liberal rights, they're woke. I have it on my handle on one of my social media platforms. Third great awakening, but I'm not talking about politics. Man has never saved man, ever. It's God and the one true God. How ridiculous it is what became of Alcoholics Anonymous started by a Christian with 12 principles based on the scriptures now when you come into a meeting and by the way I told you I'm for these 12-step programs I think they're good well your higher power can be that chair if I was in a meeting like that well actually I was in a meeting like that years ago saying to myself what does that say of my intelligence if a chair is my higher power people sit on chairs And do other things. And that's my higher power. Because someone didn't have the courage to say, this program began like this. And that's how it's going to stay. America can be great. If America is good, but America can never be good without the power of Christ, without the blood of Christ, without the atonement, without the Bible. We need the Lord to touch our nation. Come with me to the book of Exodus. In chapter 1, I made mention of this in passing, but now I'd like you to read it with me. What happened to America? This is what happened to America in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Take the word Joseph out and put in the word Jesus. Now there arose up a new Congress over America, which knew not Jesus. Our national motto is in God we trust, not in a God we trust, in God we trust. It should be noted that that was voted in many years after the great awakenings and revivals of the past. In my view, as an attempt to hold on to it, but it's still slipping through our fingers because we must know that God. We must have him as our savior. Christ is God come in the flesh, and he's washed us. But now there arose a new generation in America which knew not Jesus. And they'll flock to some stadium, to some auditorium. Hear about a Jesus that doesn't match the Bible. It's a different Jesus. It's a different gospel. We've been warned about that in the first chapter of Galatians. And... In chapter 1 of Galatians, it says, If any man preach not this gospel, let him be accursed. Cursed. A strong language. The motivational speakers won't tell you about it. Because after all, that may ruin this good day you're going to have. You know what? We need a few days ruined to bring us to a place of humility to see our great need before God. And we're being humbled. All of us. We're being humbled. Our efforts have failed. God's efforts will never fail. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never, never pass away. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank God for that. Can America be great again? Andrew Cuomo, Eric Holder, and a whole host of people out there said America was never great. You're ignorant. You're ignorant of history or you're just willfully rejecting the facts. And again, my generation, we knew a time when people couldn't buy or sell or do anything on the Christian Sabbath, Fourth Commandment and the Ten Commandments, which was a Saturday for them, first day of the week for us. And once that disappeared, it's like taking the plug out of a tub of water. Everything else goes down. No one's reminded of good and evil. No one's reminded of the cross. Why? Because the creation principle of the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, preachers themselves have told you, don't worry about it, it's all by grace. However quickly they take your tithe and offering, yeah, it's by grace. But the grace that God gives creates in us not only the desire, but the ability to do what is right in the sight of God. Christians can't murder. No one would say that. But when it comes to being together and coming together, it's another option Like you're buying a car and you don't want the heated seats for the extra couple few hundred dollars. God is not an option. Christ is not an option. And he has told us many times that he would prove us to see if we are walking in his law or not. Let me tell you something I do and I suggest that you do it. I don't only examine myself daily, I do it throughout the day. And I don't only do it throughout the day when I'm around people, I do it when I'm in private, but not just in the dark, but in here. What am I thinking? And why? And I find myself having to consciously reject thoughts that I know are contrary to the Scriptures. I suggest very strongly you do the same. Find anything in your mind and have the vigilance and the fortitude to do it. A thought that is contradicting the Scriptures on any and every subject, reject it and believe God. We sang about He's the one that heals us. And so, we have to say to ourselves, He's the one that heals us. I am the Lord that healeth thee. We are faced now with a situation, a generation of Congress, I'll say courts of law, I want to say courts of justice, courts of law where they ripped down the Ten Commandments. And we have forgotten God. No, no, we haven't forgotten Him. We kicked Him out. We said it's illegal to pray in public schools. Now, what do we have? Gates to go through, German shepherd dogs, police stationed. Because someone said it's illegal, it's unconstitutional. They have the words, thou shalt not kill. Sixth commandment. We don't want Americans to see that. We have sown to the wind, and we're reaping the whirlwind. God help us to see a generation that does know Jesus, that does know the scriptures. That can be reared as our founding fathers were on something like the New England Primer. Learning their ABCs by scripture verses. A, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and so on. Look it up. Look it up. Because if we don't do it soon, it could be game over. God help us. I want to say to you just a few things. The title of this message is How to Make America Great Again. Number one is we must return to the Bible. And I have to just say this to you in all candor. I've been done with Christianity for a long time. But I'm not done with Christ. Amen. I was brought up on traditions that Jesus said, you've made the word of God to have no effect because of your tradition. So I've been done with Christianity for quite some time. But not Christ. Christ is alive. Christ is real. Christ said, if you can get two or three people gathered to gather together in my name. There am I in the midst. I just bought a book. I haven't read through it yet. I read through the table of contents, and already my mouth was falling onto my chest. Everything you ever wanted to know about Christian denominations has some type of title like that. As you know, I've been around the block quite a lot of times. I don't understand Christian denominations. There's so many of them. So I was reading through, said to myself, I'm not even sure I can get through this book. Christianity. Not for me. Christ. Christ, yes. And we must return to the Bible. We must know, as the disciples on the road to Emmaus found out, in Luke 24, 27, when Jesus appeared, the Bible says, "In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What did he use? The scriptures. Well, they were Jews. Didn't they know the scriptures? To some degree, yes. But remember, they were raised on all types of traditions related to Judaism that Jesus said, here's the scriptures, Psalms, prophets, Moses, all the way from Genesis to Malachi. These are the things that talked about me. And we must return to the Bible, not to Christianity, to Christ, to Christ alone. If America is to be great again, we must return to the scriptures. I want to ask you a question. How much did you read the Bible this week? Start your day with the Bible, end your day with the Bible. How much of it do you actually memorize? You know, throughout history, predating Christianity, you had four cardinal virtues. Prudence. Then you had justice. Then after justice, you had temperance, self-control. Then after temperance, you had fortitude, courage. After that, the church added three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. So you have seven. But the first one, prudence. Involves intelligence, wisdom, and memory. And we need not only to read the Bible, we must memorize it so it becomes engrafted into our hearts. So that at any moment the Holy Spirit can bring up what saith the Lord. This is our hope. A return to the Bible. Number two. A return to personal holiness. Now we've already had this, but I'll mention it again. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. But as he which is called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Not just the way you speak, old English word means the way you live. Be holy. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I've mentioned this before, but it seems apropos now. Being someone who deals extensively with people who have problems with anxiety and depression, And like the woman with the issue of blood, I have suffered at the hands of many physicians. Had electricity shot through my brain as a solution, which was no solution. Until Christ came and he said, live your life for me. Be ye holy is the greatest antidote to anxiety and depression and its cure. Not chanting, but purity of conscience and a striving for perfection, which yes, we have this in the New Testament, that we are to strive for holiness And to do it with such a heart that although we will not achieve perfection, no one does, we will achieve excellence and live a life that is excellent. When we have Americans doing that, receiving Christ and striving to please God and only to please God, America will be made great again. What's in the balance at the moment is decisions. You know, I watched a couple of Christian comedians. I just happened to bump into them on YouTube, searching for something else. I decided to give them a listen. I like comedy, I like physical comedy, I like irony and sarcasm and all these things, as you know. And the subject was comparing churches and why black churches do this and white churches do this and so on. And honestly, in both cases, two comedians, I judged that they didn't even have the talent for comedy. And that's the truth. But the subject that they picked, though it can be humorous in this hour, is inappropriate. In any case, they didn't have much talent. I watched The Little Thing, because since I was already on that genre in my mind, I watched Rich Little doing impressions, and tears were rolling down my cheeks. I have a great appreciation for comedy when somebody is actually funny. I don't find anything about the situation we're in right now too comedic. We need to return to personal holiness, to have a standard, God's standard and to remember the virtues that Plato and Aristotle and then later, of course, the church amplified upon these seven capital virtues of, again, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude, faith, hope and charity. These seven. Let us also remember what has also predated Christianity is the seven capital vices recognized by anybody. Pride, well, that's in the Bible. Envy, that's in the Bible too. Then we have greed, before we have envy. We have pride and we have greed. That's in the Bible. Both of those are in the Bible. Envy is in the Bible, not the envy. We have lust. That's in the Bible. One that we don't see so prominent, though, is gluttony. The reason that these sins or these vices are called capitals because it comes from the Latin caput, meaning Head implying that if this is taken out everything associated with it will be gone gluttony because if you can control your physical appetite it is thought remember that's one of the virtues temperance then you can control everything else the bible goes further about the tongue then it mentions sloth when people come and cross our borders or people within our borders say hey you worked hard that money's mine i say to myself how do I go to work and owe you money? It's socialism. And then these people, these same people say, and it works. They've never been to Venezuela. They've never seen Cuba. They've never studied the history of Russia, China, all these places. Oh, you say, I had a discussion with the man. that said, this is the difference between communism, Marxism and socialism. I said, yeah, but in the end, they still take the same amount of money. So you could call a rose a rose, or you could call it a daffodil. It still smells like a rose. You go to work and owe me money. Why? That's a million-dollar question. Who's got the answer? And all the people up at the top, taking all the cream, including our own Congress, taking all the cream of our taxes, saying, now distribute your money. I say, you distribute your money. I say, why don't you start working for your country for free? You love our country? Then work for free. Didn't we have a president that did that? Work for free and stop all your deals with countries that are ultimately out to destroy us. In any case, sloth. Now, we can't use these terms anymore because they're politically incorrect. But let me just say very quickly about the term, you're a lazy bum. (laughs) Well, you can't say that anymore because, after all, people have had a hard life. But wasn't it John Wayne that said, life is hard and it's even harder if you're stupid? I partly agree with that. We have Americans that say socialism. Really? I bet you it's not the same people that are working. And if you're watching, and you are, start sending your money to me, but it's not coming back because I don't believe in socialism. But I'll take your money. I'll take it in a heartbeat. And you think about how you're going to make it through the week because I don't believe in socialism. I believe in what has been known as the Protestant work ethic. I mean, in America, that's what it's been known as. Sloth. Let me continue. Return to the Bible. Return to personal holiness. Number three, and I mentioned this briefly, a return to keeping the Sabbath. To telling people it is obligatory, not an option. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if there wasn't any other good reason to come together as Christians, seeing the day approaching would be one. Didn't we read in this week in the news? China has had another, or China has had a great earthquake. Are we not reading about earthquakes? Are we not reading about famines? Are we not reading about false teachers, false Christs? Are we not reading about wars and rumors of wars and everything that's in the New Testament? That Jesus and the apostles said these would be the signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. Second coming. We're seeing. If there was no other reason to come in and be together, that would be the reason. The day is approaching. And you know, hear me out, when you stay home, I mean, there's good reasons that people can't make it, I understand that, but I mean, when you stay home, you say, oh, I was benefiting from my singing. If I'm at home, singing by myself. You come to the song service, and the song leader, whoever he or she is, says, oh, I've already sang when I was home. If I opened the Bible here today and said, I preached when I was at the house, Let's close in prayer. What do you get out of it? Nothing. And when people are absent from the assembly, we miss out on their gifts, their talents, their prayers, their singing, and so on. And the day is approaching. Not to mention, the keeping of the Sabbath has been something known to every nation from creation. But I'll leave you with that for the moment. Fourthly, a return to prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Does anybody here, you that are watching by television, those of you listening by radio, do you really say I know it all? I marvel the years I've spent in the Bible. As someone who was flipping a page, I just landed on the verse. Hey, pastor, what does this mean? And I don't know. <laughs> There's thirty-one thousand one hundred two verses. It's like asking Jacques Cousteau, who's passed away, or Robert Ballard, to say, do you know where every single grain of sand is? Or you find some artifact that puzzles everybody, even the experts. You see, we don't know everything, but God says, pray, ask me, play by the rules, and watch what I will do. We here have seen diseases turned around and run the other way by the laying on of hands, the anointing of oil. You've seen it. We have testimonies right here. Because the doctor said it's over. And Jesus said, Not yet, it's not. It's not over till God says it's over. And Jesus said that with me nothing is impossible. With God, He said nothing is impossible. Pray. Pray in private, pray in public. Come out when the pastor says prayer is Sunday morning before the service. We need a return to prayer. We need to go before God and see Him do great and mighty things so that we would know we did not do this. The White House didn't do it. Congress, the Senate, and the Supreme Court, God help us, did not do it, but God Himself did. Amen. A return to prayers, number four. Number five, not only a return to the Bible, but from these pulpits in America and around the world, we need a return to biblical exposition. Let the Bible say what it says. Preacher, stop apologizing for it. Stop keeping certain texts from the people because you're afraid they'll be upset. In my case, I'm more concerned that God is upset with me than whether you are. I only assume that you come here because you enjoy the Bible. I make that assumption. But some people do not. But we need to return to biblical exposition. We need to go into the difficult texts that our enemies point out taking on the unsuspecting Christian, and then we don't know what to say. We must know what to say, and that can only happen when preachers take the rule, or I should say lead the way. They lead the way with biblical exposition, and instead of being like the Andy Stanleys, who says we must unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Really, Andy? Without the Old, we can't understand the New, and without the New, we don't understand the Old. We're not unhitching here from anything. We'll start in Genesis chapter 1. We'll finish in Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. All these verses is the word of God. We're not unhitching from anything. We need biblical exposition. We need this. Acts chapter 28, verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, this is the Apostle Paul, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded "...and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening." That's a whole lot of Bible to know. And the Apostle Paul knew it. From the morning to the evening, he expounded the Scriptures and persuaded them, Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no man comes to the Father. These are the words of Jesus. No man comes to the Father but by me. Lastly, let me say this. We need to return to church discipline or to put it in the vernacular of our parlance, holding people's feet to the fire. We had a man here some years ago who had a aberrant belief on the Trinity. I confronted him on it and we had a little exchange going back because honestly, I don't have time for this. From the pulpit and teaching and questions, that's different than argumentation. In my own home, I mean my own church, a guest comes in and challenges. You know, what would you think? I mean, even though I'm your pastor and you love me, if I come into your house and say, I don't like the furniture. I don't like the way you've arranged things. So we're going to change it. I don't think the least of you here would put up with that. I'll put my feet up on the coffee table that was given to you by your great, great, great grandmother, father. I like the colors, so get the pink guy on the phone, let's change the color of the living room. You say you wouldn't put up with it? Well, let me tell you something. This pulpit was designed by me. The Bible was designed by God. And when someone comes in and says, well, I'm going to teach you a few things about the Trinity, I say, no, you're not. And I give you the gist of the story. Then he began to say, well, you know, I'm with the brethren, I'm going to teach them. I said, no, you're not. Even then I gave him a pass. I said, look you believe what you believe, but you keep your mouth shut. And then he said this to me. He says, What do you expect me? to Stand there like a dummy? You know what my answer was? Yes. yes. <laughs> you stand there like a dummy. He said, When I get there, I'll do what I want. I sent him a certified letter. When you have to sign for it. Don't come back. How cruel is that? I have spared you from discord, from all types of confusion. Look when you come in here, do you want to have a fight? I mean, do you want to fight with each other? Have, Chaos all week long. Coming from every news agency, coming here and be even more confused, fighting at coffee time. No, you came here to have peace, to be rejuvenated. You came here to pray and to sing and to have the Holy Spirit touch you. And we need a return to church discipline. People don't have to believe the way we believe, but they can't come here and say, I don't like your furniture. We're going to change it. I don't think so. Return. Which, by the way, this church discipline must be used sparingly, appropriately, And very much with a sense of empathy, I do empathize with those who have these aberrant, not just their doctrines, but the way they think that they're going to just come into my living room and change my furniture. Who thinks like that? It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife, that would be his stepmother, So this man is having sex with his father's second wife, maybe his third. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such as one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, see, God disciplines with something good in mind. But goes on to say this, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. I submit these, we'll call it a short list, of what will make America great again, if they be accepted, in the churches of America. Again, as far as I'm concerned, you can start right here. Take the sign down off the front of the church. Take the sign down off the front of every church. Put up Christ, Christ. Charles Finney, the great revivalist and one of the great leaders of the second great awakening in America in the 19th century had a belief that I agree with. He believed that in every city there should only be one church building. Because when you think about it, and I told you I just bought a book, I'm not reading introduction, I'm just going through the table of contents. I mean, there's denominations I've never heard of. Under the Baptist, the list was as long as my arm. Some just engaged my attention because I was curious to know how they come up with this name. See, that's the flesh. Christ is the Spirit. Amen. But that's how we have to pray. Only God can do this. Amen. Only God can do this. However, per crucem came wincemus through the cross, we have victory. Yes. And serumotuus veritas est. Thy word is truth. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Father, we come before you this day, in such a short period of time, and as others around the world see the same things, their country is just going over to evil. Oh, Lord, today, let us be reminded we are the salt of the earth. Let every preacher be reminded they are the salt. And God, we pray. Whoever wrote what I read earlier, come true and come to pass in our lifetime that we may see it with our eyes. As the elders in the Babylonian captivity got to see the rebuilding of the temple, however short it came of Solomon's, that we may see with our eyes. Before we pass on showers of mercy of revival, O God, that we would apply the gospel to ourselves first and foremost, O Father, I ask again that we may see with our eyes, before those of us who are older pass from this world, the raindrops of mercy, signs of a revival, of a reformation. Oh God, help us. In God we trust, and we don't deserve, as we already know, God, we don't deserve your mercy, but that is you. Help us now as we pray right here in this little parcel of land in upstate New York. Help us and pour out your spirit. Because We have sung. You're all we want. You're all we ever needed. And now, in addition to what is written, that we may know that you are near, that you walk with us and talk with us. Now tell us, we are your own, and no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that riseth up against us in judgment will be able to condemn it. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, Our righteousness is from you, says the Lord. We bless you. Let's stand this morning. Oh, God bless America, land that I love.
1: Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains, to the prairies, to the oceans, why we fall?
0: applause today. Hallelujah. We you. bless your name, oh God. Hallelujah. Another week has passed by, God. This preacher marks time by Sundays. The day is approaching, my day is approaching. Help us not to forget you and not to just hold the ground, but to go forward this week. Remind us throughout the day, every day, To love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And as we encounter one another and Christians all over, help us to love each other. Because we certainly need your help to do these things. Father, we will give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, can you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen.